Hi, I'm Stephen Apt, and here at Divine Savior Church, we believe that the message of Jesus truly changes lives. And so it's my prayer that as you listen to this message, that it does change your heart, uh, that it brings you peace and hope once again today. After you listen to it, if you wouldn't mind subscribing and liking, uh, we'd be grateful for that so that more people can hear the message of Jesus. Thank you. This morning, we come to our second-to-last disciple that we're looking at in this series called Disciples. We're looking at the, the 12 men that Jesus called to himself, equipped, trained, and sent out. And we're looking this week and next week at probably the two most famous disciples that Jesus had. Peter, we're looking at next week. And this week, we look at the disciple John. John was a well-known disciple. He is a well-known disciple. Uh, and he had great influence over the first century church. Mostly because uh, out of all the disciples, John lived the longest. Uh, all the others were martyred for their faith, killed for spreading the gospel, but John lived to be an old man. Uh, and over the course of those years, John wrote five books of the New Testament. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then Revelation. And if you read through those books, there's a dominant theme throughout the entire thing, uh, throughout the entire book, of all the books, and it's love. This is why John is known as the disciple of love. And for those who know John's gospel well, as you read it, how does he refer to himself? He doesn't refer to himself with the first-person pronouns, me or I. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Wouldn't it be great to be known as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Uh, and not only known to your friends that way, but written down on the pages of Scripture for all time. From now on, everyone's going to know John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wouldn't it be great to be known as that? When you picture John, because love is such a dominant theme, we probably get the sense that John is this loving, kind, compassionate, merciful disciple that John loves. And yet as you read through the Gospels especially, that's not the picture we get of John. Instead, we see John as a hot-tempered, vengeful person. There was one time when Jesus was, was trying to enter into a Samaritan village, and uh, the people from the town came out and said, don't come in. We don't want you, Jesus. And do you remember how John responded? Lord, do you want me to call down fire from heaven and wipe them out? Now, you and I, when, when a company or a business hurts us or, or wrongs us in some way, what do we do? We're tempted to go on a social media and write a, a scathing review for them. But John went so far to say, should we call down fire from heaven to kill this entire town? Think about that. That's not loving. Or how about this one? John one time came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we saw a man prophesying in your name and casting out demons. But don't worry, we stopped him because he's not one of us. 
instead of celebrating the spread of the kingdom of God, he was so worried and jealous about his position that he stopped other people from prophesying in Jesus' name. Or how about this one? The night before Jesus dies, they're in the upper room, and where is John? He's most likely sitting next to Jesus because Peter at one point motions to, to John to ask Jesus, who's the betrayer? And John leans in and, and asks Jesus. But what do the disciples get in an argument about? Who's the greatest? And John probably was very much involved in that conversation because if you remember just a few days before, what did John have his mom do for him? Go ask Jesus if he could sit at his right hand in the kingdom to get the honor, to get the glory, to be elevated above other people. As you read the Gospels, you don't get the sense that John is a disciple of love. You get a temper, you get a vengeful person, you get a competitive, you get a, a jealous, you don't get a loving disciple. And so what happened? How did he become the disciple of love? Maybe it's worth us asking this morning, let's take a step back and ask, what is love? How do we know what love is? And what does love do for us? How does love change us? We're going to look at John's first letter, 1 John chapter 4. John wrote to what was most likely the churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. There were seven of them. We find the same seven in um, the book of Revelation. Here, John writes about love. Here's what he says. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What is love? John tells us right away. It's your first point today. God is love. God is love. The very essence of who God is, is love. Is God holy? Yes. Is he just? Yes. Is he all-present? Yes. Is he all-knowing? Yes. Is he all-powerful? Yes. But the beating heart of our God is love. The very essence of who God is, is love. And that is something that the human heart can't comprehend. And we know it's something that we can't comprehend because look at every other religion in the world. Every other deity out there has a God that maybe love occasion, loves occasionally, if you earn it, but they're gods of justice. They're gods of holiness, of expectations. God is love. The God of the Bible, the God of the world, is a loving God. What beats in his heart is love. Behind everything he does is love. 
And that's something that we just can't comprehend. Not only do ev does every other religion not have a loving God, and God of the Bible is the only one, but across the ages, people, philosophers, think this is ridiculous. Aristotle, in 300 B.C., said it is impossible for God to love. Not just that God can't be a loving God, it's impossible for him to love. People today look at the world and say there's no way that we have a God of love, that God is a loving God. Why? Well, they look at the corruption of the world. They look at things like human trafficking, pedophilia. They look at the, the corruption, the, the dictatorship, the, the way that one human takes advantage of another human. They look at everything wrong in the world and say, there is no way that a loving God could be, all, be over this whole thing. And yet, look what John says. God is love. It is an incredible truth that the beating heart of our God is love. Do you comprehend that? Do you look at the world and think that there's no way that God can be a loving God? Because the Bible says God is love. You don't have to earn God's love. You don't have to beg for God's love. You don't have to ask God, please be loving today, because this is who God is. He's a God of love. It's an incredible truth. And maybe the second point is just as incredible. Your second point today, God loves me. God loves you. That's incredible. Why is it so incredible that God would love me? Because if I'm honest, I have a lot of John in my heart. Not just a little bit. I have a lot of young John in my heart. When someone wrongs me, when someone says something rude to me, my natural inclination is not to love. My natural inclination is to get revenge, say something spiteful back, to do something to hurt them just like they hurt me. That's my inclination. When I see other people being successful, I would like to say that I'm always loving and thank God for it, but there are many times when I turn inward and say, how come I didn't get that opportunity? How come I didn't get the chance to have that success? Why don't I get that? If there's an opportunity to put someone before myself and elevate them and let them get the recognition and the glory, or put me in a place of glory and honor, I'm way more tempted and way more inclined to put myself in the spotlight, to be elevated. You see, I, for me, this is incredible. God loves me. Look at my heart. What about yours? God says to love 
one another. In fact, look what, look what John says. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. That's a pretty humbling statement, especially after everything I just admitted. What John is saying is if we don't love, then we really don't know God because God is love. He is love. And if we know him, we would love. This is an incredible statement. God loves me, especially when we look at Romans. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Uh, While we were enemies of God, Christ loved us. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's a little extreme. Enemies of God? Well, what's an enemy? An enemy is someone who has the opposite goal, the opposite uh, desire of someone else, and they're waging war against each other. God says, love me and love others before yourself. And my natural inclination in my heart says, I'm going to love me first. Those are two opposing views, waging war against one another. We're enemies of God through the natural inclination of our heart. If we're not loving like God says to, we're actually on the opposite end of God. And yet God loves me, and he loves you, because God is love. But how do we know? It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to actually accomplish it, right? I can say anything to you. I could stand up here this morning and say, in two weeks, I'm going to be lining up for the Dallas Cowboys uh, on Sunday. It's going to be great. None of you would believe that. (laughs) Or if you did, you would know that it was a lie as soon as Sunday came, September 10th, and I was not in uniform. The Bible can say God is love. I can stand up here and tell you that God loves me, he loves you, but how do we know? Look what John says. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God doesn't just say he is love. God doesn't just say he loves you and me. He showed it. He proved it. He demonstrated it. How? By sending Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you know what the word atoning sacrifice means? Uh, It's a big biblical word, and to be honest with you, I think of it in two different situations. I I think of it in, when I I hear the word atone, I think of the Bible, but I also think of the mafia. (laughs) For some reason, like the 1920s, 30s, the, the gangsters that... He needs to atone for his sins. He needs to atone for what he did. What's that saying? He needs to make up, make reparations, fix the situation. He needs to make up for the wrongs that he committed. You and I have wronged God by not loving the way God has called us to love. We are on opposite ends. We have wronged God And we need to make reparations. And yet, what does God say? I'm not going to ask you to do it. I'm not going to ask you to make peace with me. I, God says, am going to make peace with you. 
He doesn't make you make the payment. He makes the payment to bring you peace with him. And what's the payment? His one and only son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sins. You want to know how God loves you? He gave his one and only son for you. And that is incredible love. I've been a father for four years. I have two girls. And I like you all a lot. But if you were in trouble and you needed me to give up one of my daughters for you, it's not going to happen. And I have a feeling that if I was in trouble and I needed you to give up one of your children, you would look at me and say, sorry, Stephen, <laughs> you're out of luck. Understandably so. But the God of this world looks at you and me who are on opposite ends of him from the natural inclination of our heart because we're sinners. He looks at you and me and says, I want peace with you and I'm going to give up my one and only son to be the sacrifice for your sins. And as Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we took a step to Jesus, before we acknowledged our sin, before we had any desire to come to God, God sent His one and only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that you and I have peace with God. You want to talk about God's love. All we have to do is look at the cross. All we have to do is look at Jesus and we see just how much our God loves us. He doesn't just say it, He proves it. And we celebrate this every year. We celebrate it every weekend, but we really celebrate it at Christmas, Good Friday, and Easter. At Christmas, we're not just celebrating Jesus' birthday. We're celebrating the fact that God sent His Son into the world to bring us peace with Him. The atoning sacrifice for our sins. Good Friday, we celebrate, we come, we worship, and we hear how our God sent His one and only Son to die on the cross not for his sins, not just for the corruption, because of the corruption of the Roman government, but intentionally for our sins. And then Easter morning, we hear how our God loves us so much that he accepted the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf that he conquered the grave for you and for me. God is a God of love. And if you are ever questioning God's love for you, all you have to do is come and stand at the foot of the cross and you will see how much God loves you. That he sent his one and only son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And if you're questioning whether that you are one of them, look at 1 John chapter 2. It's at the bottom of your uh, worship folder here. Oh, I guess I have it on the screen too. This is just a few chapters before. He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus not only died for our sins, he died for the sins of the entire world. Are you in the world? Yes. Therefore, Jesus is your atoning sacrifice for your sins. You are at peace with God. Forgiveness is yours. There's no more reparations that need to be made to make you right with God. That is how much God loves you. God is a God of love. He demonstrates that love 
through, by sending Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is love. That's how he demonstrates it. What does love do for us? Point three. God's love transforms me to live his radical love. John says, because God loves us, verse 11, because God loves us, we ought to love one another. As we stand at the foot of the cross and we see how much God loves us, it transforms our hearts to love one another. To love one another. Mark Jeske in his commentary on on this section of scripture uh, points to the Dead Sea in the Middle East. The Dead Sea cannot be used to, for irrigation and it cannot be, it's not drinkable. Why? Because there's no water going out. There's no flow of water. It's stagnant. And stagnant water is not good to drink. It's not good for really anything. And he uses that to point to this section. Verse 12, which is not, we didn't cover this morning, talks about how when, when we love one another, God's love is made complete. The way that God has designed you and me, the way that God has designed all this is His love comes pouring into us and as we bring God's love out to the world, His love is made complete. Why? Because it's love, God's love for us, that then flows through us that takes away hatred, that heals wounds and forgiveness, that brings away resentment so that people can live in peace. It's God's love coming in and God's love going out of us that brings love to the world and God's love and joy are made complete. That's what you and I get to do. We get to live the love that God has for you and for me. And as we do it, it brings healing to this world. And so let us love. Because God is love. And he demonstrated that love for you by sending his one and only son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. And as we go out into the world in love, God's love is made complete. And so let's go in love as we have been loved. This is what John experienced. What changed John from that vengeful, hot-tempered man standing at the foot of the cross, looking up at his Savior? He was the only disciple there, the only disciple who stood and watched the Savior on the cross of the 12 men was John. He saw God's love in action, and it's that love that changed his heart to love one another. So let's soak in that love, and then let that love flow out to other people. May God be with us as we do this. Let's pray. Gracious Savior, uh, you are a God of love, and we see that love so clearly as you came into this world to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Uh, You didn't have to do it. You weren't forced to do it. You weren't compelled to do it. You did it on your own accord because you love us that much. The beating, your beating heart beats with love, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we don't have to earn it. We thank you that we don't have to achieve it. You love us just because you're God of love. Let that love melt our hearts. Let that love motivate us to love one another just as we have been loved. Uh, We've been loved with an undeserved love, an unconditional love, and with that, let us love each other. We ask you to be with us 
Uh, let us soak in that love, that forgiveness. Let us know that no matter what happens in our life, uh, you continue to love us uh, because you just do. It's your beating heart. Be with us. Let us lo- live that love today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message today. It's my prayer that uh, it has changed your heart as you grew in the message of your Savior, Jesus. Again, if you wouldn't mind liking and subscribing, we'd be grateful for that. God bless your day.